good evening, church family. Good to see you this evening. A blessing to be in the middle of a midweek service. Uh, how quickly the week's already going. And we heard that uh, your pastor should be, should be getting in tomorrow. I think he got a little delayed. He was hoping to be in today. But uh, when I pastored and I wasn't able to make the midweek service, it was always a blessing to know there was somebody that had the pulpit filled and the people could be fed. And that, that's a blessing. Glad to be here. Now, really quickly, before I go any further, I want to <clears throat> go ahead and read a thank you note. The thank you note is from the Summerdorfs. Um, we usually mail them, but due to strict budget cuts, I just save the stamp and read the thing, all right? So, uh, dear Pastor Schott, if you're tuned in, brother, staff and church family, a quick note to thank you for the opportunity to briefly be with you, to be a part of your services, and to worship and fellowship together in the Lord. Thank you so much for your kind care of us throughout our stay. The 50-amp RV hookups were so appreciated, as well as Brother Tim and really Sister Christine's use of their vehicle, such a blessing and help. Also, the meal was, that was provided and the fellowship that accompanied it by Brother Craig and Sister D was so thoughtful and appreciate your kindness toward us. Great job to Brother Paul and the staff. From the song leading, Brother Eric, sound team, Brother Dustin, and ushers, they shake it out of you, don't they? Right? Amen. <laughs> Always a blessing to see the teamwork. Thank you so much for the very gracious love gift, as well as the travel expense check, more than we deserve. Can only hope that somehow we have been as great a blessing to you as you have been to us. Already looking forward to our next time together. Until then, may you continue to be faithful to your king, for he is coming again soon. All the love and gratitude, Brother Dave and Miss Deb, with our ministry verse. P.S. Don't forget to finish well. Amen? Brother Paul, if you come, I want to go ahead and just give these to you for Brother Schott, for Pastor Schott, and uh, the thank you note, and then uh, prayer card, and uh, I gave... I gave him double copies of all the outlines just in case somebody online later on wants a, a copy as well as a couple of outlines for what I'm sharing tonight. And then one more thing, uh, Pastor Schott's going to get probably our, this is of the seven music CDs our children cut, this is the one everybody liked the most. It's Kimberly, our oldest daughter, playing piano. Just moments with a master on keyboard. She's a concert pianist, just meditative music. This is for your pastor, Amen. and then every family here tonight gets one as well, compliments oh, for our ministry, all right? Amen. So before you leave, see Deb, we limit it one per family, but just see here, we want you to have that as a thank you for being faithful. Now, if somebody sees you Sunday and said, we heard there was a free CD Wednesday night, what can we do to get it? Can we have one? Say, nope. Can't have one. You had to be here to get it, all right? So you just tell them that, all right? Amen, Amen Brother Thank Paul. You. Thanks, <laughs> Appreciate you. Hey, real quickly, uh, who needs a handout or an ink pen tonight? We do have a handout as well as my story. Just raise your hand real quickly. Deb will get that out to you. And I want, I want to mention some of you, I was very hurt. Some of you worried about where my car was. You really didn't care that I was here. I had a couple of you say, where's the car? I said, well, hello to you too, you know. So, so the car is in museum in Allentown, Pennsylvania. It has been in museum for a year now. And uh, a week from this Saturday, Deb and I are going to be going in for the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And we're going to have a special one-hour ceremony at that museum. It's called America on Wheels. It's only 90 minutes from ground zero. And we're going to be donating that car to that museum to become the permanent home for that vehicle. If you don't know it, under the hood of the car are all the victims of 9-11 by name, all 3,030. On the trunk of the car are all the troops that died in Iraq, Afghanistan. The first 10 years, 6,318. So that mobile memorial, that'll be her permanent place. And the museum, just like, uh, just like uh, the Corvette Museum, they allow me to set up a stainless steel stanchion uh, we have a QR code. People coming by can pop on that. and th They get the gospel. They get the database and names. And they get a four-minute video. And then if they want the full movie, they can request it. No charge as well. So the car's a burning bush. It causes people to stop, to turn aside, 
and see what's up, and they get to hear from God. That's how we use it. So every day that museum's open, that car is sowing seed, all right? So if, you, if you're available on the 20th anniversary of 9-11, come on by. 11.30 will be the beginning of our one-hour ceremony at that museum. I'll be the guest speaker there that day. Also, ladies, I'll give you one thing, and then I'm going to preach tonight, all right? My wife is now an author. She has an incredible book out there called Becoming a Glorious Daughter of the King. This thing has struck a nerve in Christian womanhood where we just ordered our ninth printing in a year and a half. This thing has really taken off. And I edited it, and I went through the whole thing and edited it, and I'll just be quite frank. <laughs> I came under conviction reading this thing. A gritty and gracious lady raised six children on the road, now 12 grandchildren uh, in our lives. And I just want to say, ladies, if you want something that will challenge your spiritual life, this is the book. And you see Deb afterwards. And this one, by the way, is for Sister Shot. Is that correct, Mom? This is for Sister Shot, all right? So, brother, I'll give that to you if you can be sure she gets that. All right, thanks. Take your Bibles. Let's go to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 8 tonight. I promised if you'd come, I would have a message that would very much challenge and encourage you. Luke chapter 8, I'll let you remain seated. I want to begin reading in verse number 4. Luke chapter 8, and I want to begin reading in verse number 4. Luke 8, beginning in verse number 4. The Bible says, and when much people were gathered together, Luke 8 and verse 4, <clears throat> the Bible says, and were come to him out of every city, he spake by a parable. The Lord's about to share an earthly story of a heavenly truth here. Look at what's said in verse number 5, Luke chapter 8. A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. Some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. Verse 8, another fell on good ground and sprang up and bare fruit an hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Here in Luke chapter 8, we see three principles of the harvest, principles that guide us and govern us even today as it pertains to the sowing of God's Word into lives. I want to share tonight three principles of the harvest. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you tonight for privilege again to be in your house and with your people. Thank you for the fellowship we've already enjoyed. Father, thank you for the songs we've been able to sing Thank you for, Lord, the prayer requests, the gratitude that was expressed that went towards you. And Lord, now as we hear from you through your word, I pray you would challenge our hearts. I pray, Father, in the days in which we live, we'd be wise about the ordering of our life. And Lord, in the Jerusalem you placed us in our field, I pray that we'd be much about the sowing of seed. Use this thought in every heart tonight. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as you and I look across America tonight, we need to recognize that we are living in a time of great unrest. Amen? Great unrest. People have asked me, how would you describe people, not only in America, but maybe in the world in general? And I would say this, first of all, I noticed that people today are dealing with fear. They're dealing with fear. There's a genuine fear factor that's going across our nation and other nations as well. Second of all, I notice they're doubting the future. There's great doubts about the future. I put it this way. Uncertainty has become the currency of our day. Amen? There's a great doubt about the future. But thirdly, I want to say this. Regardless of all that, individuals today desire fellowship. We are social creatures. Amen? I remember last year in the middle of the pandemic, I was flying into Boise, Idaho, Idaho to do a conference. I did the turn at SeaTac, and as I stepped off the jet, I looked at an empty airport. It was practically, it looked like the rapture, and I got a little concerned for a second there, all right? But I remember as I made my way to my next gate, I had about an hour to burn waiting for the pickup to take me to Boise, the, the jet. While I was sitting there, I noticed over across the jetway a forlorn-looking little Delta agent. 
She was standing at her gate and there was virtually nobody around. I remember going over to her and introducing myself and where once a Delta agent probably wouldn't want to talk to people because they're overwhelmed with all kinds of individuals, I'm going to say that she did not want to let me go. I mean, for the next 20, 30 minutes, I witnessed to her. We talked about this, that, the other, the Lord. I mean, what I learned right there is we are social creatures. You can't just stuff yourself in a corner and live that way. We desire interaction and fellowship. So as I set this up tonight, here's the thing to realize. Though we're living in a day of great unrest, recognize it's a time of great opportunity for believers. Amen? It is a time of great opportunity. Let's look at these principles. Get a pen out. These, these are very simple. They'll be very helpful. Principles of the harvest. The first principle I want to look at tonight concerning the souls of men and women is this. The field has only one owner. Write that in there. Concerning the field of souls that are out there today, that field has only one owner. Who is he? Write it in. He's the Lord of the harvest. He identifies himself that way. He's the Lord of the harvest. Go back to Matthew chapter 9 with me. Look with me in Matthew chapter 9, verse number 38, verse number 37. Look with me, Matthew 9, verse 37. Jesus Christ is looking at the need. Notice what he says in verse 37 of Matthew 9. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Look up for just a moment. You know, there's no shortage of need out there today. There's no shortage of broken homes. There's no shortage of decay and sin. There's no shortage of, 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 of need out there. The, the harvest is plenteous. That, that's not the shortage. Notice the shortage is in the laborers. Look at how the Lord prays in verse 38. He says, Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into, here it is, his harvest. Amen? You know, as we look at this first principle, this is the big principle. The field has only one owner. Who is he? He's the Lord of the harvest. And I think you and I need to recognize there may be many laborers, but there's only one owner. What does that mean? Well, we do it all the time, don't we? How many of you have ever said to somebody as you met them out there, you've invited them to church, right? Who's ever done that? You invited somebody to church. What do you say? Would like you to come to what? My church, right? Want you to come to our church, all right? Now, that's good. You ought to have skin in the game. You ought to look at it that way. But you know, you ought to go to a higher level. It's not your church, it's his church. Amen? And when you and I look at souls out there today, you and I need to recognize those aren't simply ours, they're his. That's just not any old field. That's the king's field that you're going out into to deal with souls. That's the king's field. Amen? That ought to require and bring from you a higher sense of stewardship. If it was your field, maybe you'd let the weeds grow. Maybe you just wouldn't really care much. But it's not your field. Those are his souls. Ezekiel 18.4, he says it. He said, behold, all souls are mine. In this first principle, it seems so trite but it's a big one. That field of souls out there you bump into every day, that field has only one owner. He's the Lord of the harvest. That's the king's field you step into every day. The song says, In the harvest field now ripened, there's a work for all to do. Hark, the voice of God is calling to the harvest calling you. Principle one, the field has only one owner. But here's a second principle. Look with me. Principle number two, the laborers should have only one desire. Write that down. The laborers, those that are in the king's field, should have only one desire. What would be that desire? 
I, I just complete the thought, to promote and exalt him. To promote and exalt him. To do his will, not ours. Why? Because it's his field, not ours. Amen? And what is one of the great desires the king has for the souls of men and women, boys and girls out there? He says it in 2 Peter 3. He said, he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Amen? Boy, this second principle is a big one. It's this, the laborer should have only one desire, and that is to promote and exalt him and to do his will, not their will, because it is his field, not ours. And one of his great desires is that people would be saved. Go to Romans 10. I want you to see something here before we go to our third point. In Romans chapter 10, in Romans chapter 10, the apostle Paul here, now, he's now converted. He was Saul. He's now saved. And look at how his heart's desire lines up with the king and the field of souls. In Romans 10, in verse number 1, look at what he says here. He says, brethren, Romans 10, 1, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is, those will be his people, the Jew, what is the desire? That they might be, say the word with me out loud, saved. Wow. You know, after being converted, becoming saved himself, suddenly this Saul who hated Jesus Christ, this Saul who hated the Christian faith, suddenly he gets a heart for souls. And the king's desire becomes his desire. He wants to see people saved. You know, as we come into this third thought, I guess... My question could be this, is his desire yours concerning his field out there? Do you desire to be, see people saved? Let's go to principle three because we're going to move into that now. Principle three is a very simple principle. Go back to Luke chapter 8. Go back to Luke chapter 8. And notice principle number three. Principle number one, the field has only one owner. He's the Lord of the harvest. It's the king's field. Principle number two, the laborers then should have only one desire. And that's to do his will, not theirs. But principle three is a very simple yet very powerful principle. Notice what's said in Luke chapter 8 and verse number 5. The Bible says a sower went out to sow his seed. Right there is principle number three. What is that? The sowers have only one task. Write that down. The sowers have only one task. What is the task of the sower? To sow the seed. That's what sowers are called to do, to sow the seed. Amen? But it's not just any seed. And by the way, keep in mind, if there's no seed sown, there is no harvest gathered. It's a simple formula. In fact, when there's more seed sown, there's more harvest gathered. Amen? It's a, it all begins with the sower. Could I get an amen? It all begins there. You don't sow the seed, there's nothing to be reaped. It's not going to happen. It, it can't happen. So it begins with the sower. And the sowers have only one task, that's to sow the seed. And what is that seed? Luke 8, verse 11 tells us. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The seed that is to be sown, is the Word of God. And I want to say this. That is powerful seed. That's powerful seed. Go to Isaiah with me. I want you to show you something here. Isaiah chapter 55. The Lord is doing a comparative look at himself and man. In Luke chapter, or Isaiah chapter 55, I want to begin reading in verse number 8. Isaiah 55, verse number 8. Notice this. The Lord begins here. He compares his thoughts to ours in Isaiah 55, 8. And look at what he says. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. 
For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Watch verse 10 of Isaiah 55. For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, maketh it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater. Look at verse 11. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void. But it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. Wow. You know, the sowers have only one task. The task is to sow the seed. And the seed we're called to sow is the Word of God. And I want to say this, that is powerful seed. In fact, it's so powerful, the Lord said it'll never be a waste of time. You'll never sow it and waste that effort. It will always bring something. It will never return to me void, empty, useless, or wasted. That's powerful. Do you believe that? Do I really believe that? I mean, yeah, we know the Sunday school answer. Amen, yeah. But by our actions, do we really believe that? That if we take the seed and we put it out in whatever fashion into the hearts of men and women, boys and girls, that it will never return void. Even if it means one day it'll be the voice to say, you cannot say someone didn't care for you. Amen? Do we really believe that? <laughs> I think sometimes we struggle with that. And the reason we do is because in America we are very impatient people you know how americans operate we're the bunch that stands in front of the microwave screaming at it to hurry up that's how americans do it y'all with me and this is what happens we'll go out there and we'll say you know i don't know about this okay i'll try it i'll try it and we go out on visitation we go out and you know door knock we go out and give out the seed in some fashion and we go ahead and we give out some seed and then pah, nothing happens say so see that man they they nothing that's crazy to think that way that's like the farmer taking the seed and putting it in the ground and looking at it for about five minutes and go, ha, what a waste of effort. Yeah, it's just steady. I'm not going to put any more in the ground. Nothing happened. Y'all with me? We're so impatient. You know, salvation isn't of you. Salvation's of the Lord. Through time and the in injection of the Word of God and the dealing with the heart and the conviction of the Spirit, there's, there's a lot of factors that go into germination. Amen? And, you know, a lot of times we put the seed in there and, you know, can you imagine as a farmer and then every day digging it up to see how it's doing? Huh, dig it up. Yeah, it's, not, it's just not doing that well. Come on, you got to let God be God. It is powerful seed. Isaiah says so. Your salvation says so. Amen. I remember last year, about a year and a half ago, we came into Culpeper, Virginia. The pastor there is Pastor Brown. He's a West Virginian, never had one stitch of Bible college. Old ex-drunk, God saved. Culpepper, now he pastors that church. I came in for a four-day conference. I'm expecting to encourage them. But man, that song leader Sunday, he encouraged me. He got up and he was just bubbling over about something. And finally, he, he had had enough. And so he, he said, I just got to share this, he said. And he took a moment in the middle of song service to share a testimony. He says, you all know I work at an electrical contracting firm. And I'm a front counter man. And we get all kinds of people through. And this week, just a couple days ago, a fella come through. As I'm filling his order, he looks at me and says, you don't remember me, do you? He said, I didn't. And so I said, no, sir, I don't. He said, well, I came through about a year ago, and I didn't look like this. And as he began to describe himself, that song leader says, oh, I remembered that guy. He was the guy nobody wanted to wait on. About 300 pounds tattoos, ponytail, foul mouth, impatient spirit. He's just as mean as mean could be, and nobody wanted to wait on him. As he shared that little story, I remembered. I was the guy that waited on him about a year before. 
He said, you waited on me. And he said, well, I'm waiting for you to fill the order. He said, I saw this little thing, fishbowl full of little something or others. I didn't even know what they were. I picked one up. It said the tiny Bible. You looked at me and said, you can have that. And the song leader said, when I told him that, he kind of snorted and put it in a leather jacket. He said, two days ago when he came through, this is what he said. He said, that thing sat in my coat for about six months. I about forgot about it. One day, about six months ago, I pulled that thing out. I felt it, and I looked at it. And I thought, what can it hurt? And I began to page through the dozen or so verses that were there, begin to read them. He said, I don't know how to explain this, but as I read those verses, God began to deal with my wicked heart. I began to see who I really was. And he said, an hour or two later, he said, I got saved. Powerful seed. Amen. My son Kevin called me about a year and a half ago. He said, Dad, you've got to hear this. We had a father-son camp out. We had an overnight. A bunch of us went. And he said, I was there for uh, a, a Friday afternoon, Friday night, Saturday morning. And he said, one of the final testimonies that was shared was a young man. He, he was in his upper 20s. And he shared the following story. He said, I grew up in a Christian home. I heard the gospel many times. I heard the Bible preached often. But I chased God away. I wanted nothing to do with it. I made my profession of faith and did the religious thing. But when I, when I turned 17, 18, he said, I bailed on the family. He said, I went into the gangs and I ran with the gangs. I loved the gang life. The high that came with it and all that went with it. He said, but when I was about 22 years of age, he said, I got on the wrong side of town about one in the morning all by myself on the rival gang's turf. And they caught me. He said, they like to kill me. They beat me half to death, put me in the hospital. I was in a coma. When I came to a couple days later, he said, I, I, I didn't even know where I was, but came to understand I'd almost died. And as I lay there rehabbing in that hospital, I thought to myself, what if you'd have died? What if you had died? He said, I knew I'd have gone to hell. And so I said in my heart, I, I ought to get saved. He said, as soon as I thought that thought, my whole soul just revolted at the thought of getting saved. I pushed God away. I pushed that thought away. I wanted nothing to do with getting saved. But he said, a couple days later, my grandpa came by, brought a marked edition New Testament with him and set it there. He said, grandson, I know you've been through a lot. I thought I'd just let you have this. If you get tired of watching TV, Maybe you take time, turn to page so-and-so and start reading the marked verses. I don't know why, but Grandpa was right. He said, a few days later, I got sick of television. I thought, what could it hurt? So I picked that thing up. I'd carried a Bible for all my years as a young kid, but this time I picked it up and I thought, what can it hurt? And I started reading verses, some familiar. He said, I don't know how to say this and I don't know how to describe it, but my heart began to be convicted. My heart began to warm to the thought that salvation was something I needed and Jesus could save me. And he said a few hours later, he said, I got saved. Now, we are not just giving out anything, any word. We're giving out the king's word. Amen. And it's been promised to give a result and it's promised to bring a return. And the sowers have one single task. What is it? To sow the seed. That's what sowers are called to do, to sow the seed. I remember a number of years ago, I was in Alaska. I had a company, 43 people working for me, and my president of the company came up. It was a sales company, so we were always dealing with people. And the guy that came up to hold a few days of meetings with me, his name was Paul Vitovich. Paul's a saved man. Paul and Kitty live down in Landrum, South Carolina, good friends of the Tebow family. And we've come to know Paul and Kitty. They're just lovely folk. And Paul came up, though, as my president, and he held a series of meetings. And after the first day was over, Paul taught me a principle that I'll never forget. It changed my life and my approach to everything I did. Finishing the day, he looked at me and he said, David, you want to really be successful in life and whatever you do could be your ministry, could be your marriage, could be your business. But you really want to be successful. Here's a little principle you need to learn and learn it well. I said, what's that, Vitty? He said this. If you really want to be successful, learn to control the things you can control and don't try to control the things you can't. 
I said, well, put that in, put that in business parlance, Vidi. He said, David, can you control who shows up to your sales meetings? I says, no, I can't. They're 1099. They're contract labor. That would be commanding and steering. It's illegal for me to do that. It's volunteer only. He said, that's right. You cannot control who shows up for your daily sales meetings. But David, can you control if you have a good meeting prepared to give to those who do? I said, well, yeah, I can control that. He says, here's what will happen. You'll go a few days and those guys won't show up. You'll have one, maybe one day, two another, none on the third. And this, if you're not careful, this is what you'll say, staring at what you can't control. You'll say, why should I put a meeting together for these clowns? They don't show up anyhow, so you get nothing ready on day four. And then they all show up. Now, what do you think they're going to say when they get done with your flop of a meeting that you were unprepared to give? You know what they're going to say? They're going to say, I don't know why I go to the boss's meeting. He doesn't have anything good when I'm there anyhow. It's a waste of time. And because you tried to control what you couldn't control, you stopped doing what you could. Look at our parable. Here we go. Here we go. Look in Luke chapter 8 and notice in this parable what you can control and what you cannot control. As we look at this parable in Luke chapter 8, let me ask you this. Can you control the heart of the listener? Yes or no? no yes or no? No, you cannot control their heart. Number two, can you control their response? Yes or no? No, you can't control their response. Number three, can you control the fruit that comes from that? Can you control the fruit? You can't control that. What's the one thing you can control in this whole parable? Look with me, verse number 5 of chapter 8 in Luke. Here it comes. A sower went out to sow his seed. That's it. That's it. That's all you and I can control. A sower went out to sow his seed. You know, in that whole parable and the explanation, there are 12 verses in that entire thing from when the Lord begins to share it and then he explains it. You know how much of that we can control? You know how much of that the king gives us? Less than one half of one verse is ours. You ready for this? And we won't even do that. We won't even do that. That's all he says. Here's your part, one half of one verse. All the rest is mine. And he waits for us to do what we can control, and we will not even do that. Let me tell you something. Look at America today. She's a mess. But everything you see is a symptom. It's not a cause. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways. I'll hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Listen, we have got to do more than simply scream at the darkness. I'm going to say that again. We have got to do more than simply scream at the darkness. We have to get back to the basics. And the basics is, if you don't sow seed, you don't get a crop. If you don't sow seed, you don't get fruit. If you don't sow seed... People don't get saved. That's it. One half or one verse less than that is ours. And we try to control what we can't control. And then we stop controlling what we can. Yeah. Flip your notes. I'll give you something practical. I told somebody before church started, I said, I'm going to definitely, you're definitely going to get punched in the message. That was the punch. As one of the punches right there. But I said, I never end on that. I want to build you and encourage you. Because we have to do more than just scream at the darkness. That never does a thing. That just makes us look mean and angry and upset. You all with me? And nobody likes to listen to a complainer. Could I get an amen there? I, I was talking to my daughter Karen here last year, and she's a nurse down in Orlando. And I don't know why. I went on a little tear, all upset about something. And she finally over the phone, this is what she said, Dad. 
Nobody likes a grumpy old man. <laughs> I thought about that. I said, that's true. I don't enjoy listening to everybody complain. Y'all with me? After a while, I just kind of tune you out. I'm sick of hearing it. I mean, we're saved, by the way. That should not be our default setting is complaining. I mean, I was, praise the Lord, brother. You started with some praises tonight, amen? And listen, if you, you say, but you don't understand, man. Everybody part of me is failing. Well, you got a new one on the other side. So, you know, I mean, you got a pretty good ending here. Quit staring at the race. You got a good finish, amen? I could go on and on. But as we look at the need today, a sower went out to sow his seed. No seed, no harvest. There are many ways to broadcast the seed of God's word. What's yours? I've had people say to me, but I don't know what to say. I, I would get more involved in that, but, but I don't have anything special to tell them. Or sometimes I've heard people say, well, well, I just don't know that much. I'm kind of afraid to try. But you know, have you ever considered, every one of you that are saved, have you ever considered a very simple biblical way to share the Word of God with people and to get the seed in their heart? Paul knew this way. Three times in the book of Acts, Acts 22 and Acts 23, standing before kings, Paul shared the gospel in a very unique way. You remember what it was? He told them his story. He would stand in front of Festus and he said, let me tell you what happened to me. And then he told them about his meeting with Jesus Christ. Did it bring fruit? Oh, yeah. In fact, one of those leaders said, almost thou persuadest to me to be a Christian. Simply Paul telling them his story began to persuade people to consider Jesus Christ. I want you to pull up that little track I gave you. It's called My Story. Just grab that real quickly. I want you to just read it. Just take a moment. I'll be quiet and I'll let you read this. Because this has become one of my favorite ways to give the gospel. Just go ahead and take a moment and read it. It's called, Hello, My Name is David and This is My Story. Brittany, you got one? You don't. Well, you do now. Just take a moment and read it. When you're done reading it, just look up and I'll know that you finished it. We'll let most of you read it. It won't take too much time. Hello, my name is David and this is my story. When you're finished, just look up and then I'll know you've read it. If you finished reading it, turn to John 4. Go to John chapter 4. You see, I believe every one of us, if we're saved, have a very powerful opportunity, a very powerful way to witness, and it's sharing our story. Look with me in John chapter 4. Look at the power of a story. This is the Samaritan woman. Jesus Christ confronts her. He reveals to her who he is. She trusts him. She sees him for who he is. And look at what happens in John chapter 4 and verse number 39. John 4 and verse number 39. It says, And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him. That would be Jesus Christ. For the saying of the woman which testified... He told me all that ever I did. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days. Look at verse 41 of John chapter 4. And many more believed on him, believed because of his own word, and said unto the woman, Now we believe not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Amen. You guys probably have a ride, huh? No? 
John chapter 4. So she goes and tells her story, and it causes others to consider his story. That's powerful. Amen? You know, one of my favorite ways now to witness is this. This silly little story here I've been giving out now for two years. 2,500 of these, I've yet to have my first person reject it. Everybody takes it. And it's real simple. It's, it's not hard to give out. I look for military caps. I was in Dunkin' Donuts this morning, had a half-hour conversation with somebody that started with this story. But all I do is when I see you, I say, hey, what's your name? You're David. <laughs> my name's David, too. And that's my story. I think you're going to like it. It's got a real happy ending. That's it. That's all you do. I take one of these, and when I see somebody, and I'm out there, and I say, hey, what's your name? Josh. Josh, my name's David. This is my story. I hope you like my story. It's got a real happy ending. And then I give them my story. It's all I do. What kind of results have I gotten on this? This is crazy. This has become my favorite. First of all, I, I remember in Alabama last year at the post office, I was standing in line, and I got up to the window to do uh, my postal stuff, and when I finished, the little lady there, her name was Karen. I said, Karen, my name's David. This is my story. I said, and I hope you like my story. It's got a real happy ending. She took my story, and in front of me, took it and just started reading it. Now, I was going to leave, and then I'm like, okay, I'll stay put. And she just reads the whole thing, flips it over, finishes reading it, and she goes, wow, that's a good story. And then I looked at her, I said, is that your story? She goes, no, sir, it's not. But would you pray for me? That was her exact result, response. I was in Whidbey Island, Washington, again, at a post office, standing in line, got to the window, finished my work. Little Filipino girl was there. Nine people strung out behind me. And I said, I see your name is Mary. Well, my name's David, and this is my story. I hope you like it. It's got a real happy ending. And she takes it and does the same thing and starts reading it. Now, I've got a string out of nine people, and I'm thinking, I hope they think I'm doing business, not witnessing, you know what I mean? And nobody said a word. They thought I was doing business. She reads that whole thing, and I said, do you like my story? She said, I like your story. She said, your story is my story. <laughs> Just like that. I was in a Dunkin' Donuts here a few months ago. You'll start to see a pattern of where I travel when I'm in an area. <laughs> And I came in, and I went to place my order at the counter, and then I like to read my Bible in the public arena. Don't do a USA Today anymore. But I went ahead, and the little uh, African-American girl there, I said to her, I said, Tina, whatever her name was, she was about 18 years old, I said, here's my story. I think you're going to like it. It's got a really happy ending. And before I leave, I'm going to ask you what you think of my story. All right? She said, sure. So she takes it, puts it in her pocket, work on the counter. About an hour later, I get up to leave. And as I get up to leave, I said, Tina, did you read my story? How'd you like it? And the whole team of Dunkin' Donut ladies that are working there all fan out. And they all say, we all read your story. That's an amazing story. The whole team. I was at a rental counter, rental car agency in Florida about four months ago. Uh, my daughter's father-in-law passed away and came in for the funeral. Following getting the car all set up, the Lord said to me, you need to give that guy your story. So I went ahead and I said, by the way, I said, here's my story. My name's David, and I think you'll like my story. It's got a real happy ending. He picks it up and he starts reading it right there. So I stay there and wait. He finishes the whole thing. He looks at it, he finishes it up, and he said, may I keep this? Those were his exact, may I keep this? I said, yes, sir, why is that? He said, I got a pastor, and I, I, coach, little league, I coach little league girls softball, and every time we go over to play his church, he's trying to tell me this story right here. Wow. Ben Salem, Pennsylvania, a month and a half ago. Came through, had lunch with the pastor at the Longhorn Steakhouse. Little waitress gave her my story. Two and a half weeks later, I came back to, I was preaching that Sunday and came back to just minister and went out for lunch between services. And as they, the little waitress came to wait on us, I looked at her and I said, like, I know you. And she said, you're David. 
<laughs> that was two and a half weeks earlier. I said, that's me. She said, man, I love your story. She said, I got it on the bulletin board, and every single person that comes to work here, I make them read your story. Isn't that crazy? Schlotzky's, Texas, eight months ago, came in, ordered my meal, said to the lady, by the way, my name's David, this is my story, hope you like it, it's got a really happy ending. She went ahead and served us our food, brought it over about seven minutes later. I said, did you read my story? She said, I did. Did you like it? She said, that's a good story. I said, is that your story? She got down on one knee right next to my table. She said, no, sir, it's not. She said, I'm not living right. I'm shacked up right now. Would you pray for me? I said, I will. But I said, that can't be your story. Your story can be my story. My story can be yours. I could go on and on and on and on and on. Why is this so effective? That was my question. I've never had something bring those kind of responses. Write this down. I think this is why. First of all, you can just do the Sunday school answer. It's very biblical to share people with people what Jesus did for you. Amen? That's very biblical to do that. All right? So that's an obvious one. But second of all, it's your story. What that does is it makes this whole thing very personal. Amen? You're giving them a piece of you. It's your story. And you understand that when we look at the gospel, we look at Jesus Christ, you understand that when you meet your salvation, it's not going to be a program. It's going to be a person. Everything about Christianity is relationship, not religion. Amen? It's a relationship. That is our salvation. And when you and I look at this thing, it's very personal, and it begins with a relationship. You're giving them a slice of you, a relationship this way to have them consider a relationship that way. Number two, it's hard to discredit. Write that down. Very hard to discredit. No one's ever said to me, but if they ever did, I could imagine. Brother Kevin, they say, they say to me, well, I don't believe that happened. <laughs> you know what I'd say? Take my word for it. It happened. I was there. All right? Trust me. This really happened. All right? So it's very hard to discredit. Number three, it's hard to reject. It's you. You know, I think sometimes it's very easy to reject literature that's just a theological truth we throw at somebody. Y'all with me? I've had people take this, Brother Paul. I've had people take this thing, and when I give it to them, it just happened today. I met a couple at Duncan. The first thing they did, you know what they did? Flipped it over to see who was promoting it. And all they saw was my name again. I put no church on there. I put no religion on there. I'm just telling them as a person, here's what happened to me. Amen? Now you say, well, well, then how do you get them to church? Well, just it's one step at a time. If I lived in this area, I'd start with, I'd start with this right here. And then the next time I come through, I'd probably give them this was your life. All right? Show them how they can have the same story I got. And maybe the next time I came through, I'd say, hey, here's the church I'm going to. All right? You ought to come. There's a whole bunch of people there that got the same story I got. Y'all with me? But it does begin with a relationship. Very hard to discredit. You're giving them a piece of you. I'll, I'll, I'll hand this back to you, all right? I wrote this one down. It causes them to consider their story. It's so easy. When I give them out, I'll oftentimes come back to the person on the way out of the restaurant or I'll say, did you enjoy my story? And they'll always tell me what they thought. And then I'll say, is that your story? It's just an automatic deal. I just follow right up. Is that your story? And I wait. It's the natural flow. Everybody has a story. What's yours? Amen? And then it's easy to build upon. As I mentioned, it's easy to build upon. You know, as I look at this, and we do have a church in Oklahoma City. 18 people are a member of that church. We came in to preach. 18 people was all that church had. And the youngest was 52 years old. I shared this very thought with them. We just got off the phone with, with uh, the sister yesterday, Mom, right? Tanya? Nine of the 18 have their stories done. And revival's starting to break out in the church. 
The pastor read his story from the pulpit, and a visiting man got saved listening to the pastor read his story. You know, we look at our Jerusalem. This is our need today, isn't it? Amen? Missions is going gangbusters in churches I come to, but it's our Jerusalem that's dying on the vine. And this is the easiest way to start sowing the seed. Doesn't the song say it? I love to tell the story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. I love to tell that story. It did so much for me. And that is just the reason I tell it now to thee. If you're saved, you got a story. Amen? And I collect these things. They're coming to me as people do them up. They want me to see them. And I'm telling you, it has become my favorite way to present the gospel to utter strangers wherever I go. I want to challenge you to think about getting your story together. I want to just challenge you to think about a very biblical, easy way to go ahead and present the gospel. to You say, well, I don't really have a story. Well, you talk to me afterwards. We can get that one settled too, amen? Because if you're saved, you got a story. And that story is worth telling what Jesus did for you. By the way, in your notes, just write this in. You have to go ahead and finish this thought. The Bible, or, or C.H. Spurgeon said this. Listen to what Spurgeon said. He said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Charles Spurgeon, a Calvinist, who wrote a book called The Soul Winner. Required reading. I had to read that twice every year in my pastor's class through my local church. I had to read that book every six months. Said every Christian is either a missionary, which means you're sowing seed, or an imposter. If you really got saved, you want to get involved in the rescue and recovery operation. Amen? And so I'm going to encourage you. Think of this as a way. There's lots of ways. If you say, well, I don't like your way, you know what my answer is going to be? What's yours? Say, well, I, I don't really have one. Then I like my way better than your way. Because my way gets them the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. A sower went out to sow the seed. That's what we're called to do in the king's field. More seed, more harvest. That's how it works. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this thought. I pray you'd use it in the hearts of your people. Lord, even today as I prayed, I pray that at least two or three would say, I want to do this and would encourage, be encouraged, Lord, at how easy it is to give the gospel. I pray, Father, they'd recognize this is so biblical and Lord, that they would want to share what you did for them. And I pray, Lord, you bless this church family as the seed gets sown into hearts. And Lord, I know we live in a day very, very apathetic, Father, very preoccupied. Help us as your people to control what we can control. Help us to be sowers of the seed, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.